given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, and for she had her face, she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, "Come, let me come in to you." For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. He said, "What will you give me that you may come into me?" He answered, "I will send you a young goat from the flock." And she said. If I give my pledge until you send it, he said, he, he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And she was, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. And the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. How about that? We're talking about grace breaking in this morning. That's really what Christmas is, is about. It's about grace breaking in. It's about grace breaking into the darkness. And there's so much. As we look at our lives, we look around the world, there is so much to be concerned about. Uh, we have a, a faltering economy with, with high inflation and the possibility of losses of jobs. Uh, we have health conditions. We lose people uh, in life that we love dearly. There's political unrest. The, the horrific mass shootings taking place far, far too often. There's just so much as you look at your life and as you look at what's happening in this world that just seems so daunting, seems so dark. And, and there's longing we all have for a new day to come, for grace to break in. That's what this passage is about. Uh, Jamie Taworski um, uh, helped start an organization that helps out troubled uh, teenagers, and he tells the story of how, how it came about. It started with his encounter uh, with a young girl uh, named Renee. He writes, Renee is 19. When I meet her, Cocaine is fresh in her system. She hasn't slept for in 36 hours, and she won't, uh, won't for another 24. It is a familiar blur of coke, pot, pills, and alcohol. She has agreed to meet us, to listen, and to let us pray. We ask Renee to come with us to leave this broken night. She says she'll go to rehab tomorrow, but she isn't ready now. It is too great a change. We pray and say goodbye, and it is hard to leave without her. She has known such great pain, haunted dreams as a child, the near constant presence of evil ever since. 
just felt the touch of awful naked men, battled depression and addiction, and attempted suicide. Her arms remember razor blades, 50 scars that speak of self-inflicted wounds. Six hours after I meet her, she is feeling trapped. Everyone in the room is asleep. The sun is rising. She drinks long from a bottle of liquor, takes a razor blade from the table, locks herself in the bathroom. She cuts herself using the blade to write the F word. F up, large across her left forearm. And so he starts this organization as a response to Renee, wanting, longing for grace to break into her story and into the story of, of many like her. And it is amazing when it, when it happens. Perhaps you've had that story happen in your own life. Perhaps you know others, friends, family, who were under the most haunting of circumstances and light breaks in, grace breaks in. These are the best kinds of stories. I mean, I mean what even is the point of the Bible? You know, consensus today is it's, just, it's a collection of moral stories of morally upright people. And, you, you know, we should read the Bible to get inspired. We should read the Bible to try and emulate the lives of these spiritual giants. But then you actually read the Bible and you look at these stories like we just read and other stories as well. You read stories of the great spiritual giants of historic Christian faith, Abraham, David, Peter, and so on. The problem is Abraham pimped out his wife to foreigners to save his own skin. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter denied Christ. Peter was a racist. And what do we get here with Judah and with Tamar? I mean, you want to be like them? Is that the moral? Be like Judah and Tamar? Listen, the Bible is a collection of stories of people just like us. People who are broken, people who are corrupt, people who are not the kind of people that they hope to be, aspire to be, but people who nevertheless receive grace. And that's what the Bible's about. It's, it's a story of divorce, of, idol, of adultery, of hatred of all the corruption of humanity. It's a story of wayward children who are defiant and who are rebellious and a heavenly father who pursues them at infinite cost to himself and breaks through whatever obstacles are between he and his children. Listen, it's not just Judah and Tamar who desperately need grace to break in to, to Genesis chapter 38. It's you, it's me. If you're a parent, you need grace. I mean, you really think you can raise your children to be who you want them to be? You need grace. You need grace in your marriage. You need grace in your friendship. The anger, the bitterness, the, the addictions. I did this thing. I don't want to do this thing. I, I will not do this thing again. Crap, I did this thing again. You need grace to break in. So when does it happen? How does, how does grace get an opening even? And, I mean, when you, when you read Genesis 38, I mean, I mean, I mean th this is like the Jerry Springer show here. I mean, how in the world is grace going to break in? But uh, if we read it with God's lens, God's eyes, we perhaps uh, will we'll go, oh, I, I see an opening there. I see an opening there. I see an opening there. And we're going to look at three of those openings this morning uh, because there are openings for grace all through this story. Um, that is, 
You know you're on the verge of grace, breaking in, when, when you see these three things happening. When the oppressed get justice, when the spiritually blind begin to see themselves correctly, and when the guilty get declared righteous. And all of it happens in this story. This is how grace breaks in. Let's start with the first opening. The, the oppressed get justice in this passage. Now, let me just break this story down really quickly. If you've, if you've never heard this story before, you're certainly going, oh my goodness, I, I had no idea this was in here. This is unbelievable. And it is. And here's the, the backdrop. In the Old Testament, you have a man named Abraham. And Abraham has Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has 12 boys. And there's a lot of dissension amongst the boys. A lot of infighting amongst the boys. See, there, there were two wives for Jacob. And the sons of, of Leah hated the sons of, of Rachel. Why? Well, because Rachel was the, the, the favored one. And not only was she the favored one, but her sons were the favored sons. And there was one prima donna in particular of all the sons, and his name was Joseph. And so the, the sons of Leah hate Joseph, and they want to do away with Joseph. So what do they do? Well, they hatch a plot. They sell Joseph off to the Egyptians. But this is the favored son. So what, what are they going to tell dad? So they lie to dad, and they tell dad that he died unexpectedly and tragically. And they send him off into slavery. Now, the leader of that group of brothers, his name was Judah. And we meet Judah in this passage. Who was Judah? Judah married a Canaanite woman. He married a pagan, an idol worshiper, not a God-fearer. And they have three sons. And all of them are wicked. So the first son, his name is Ur, and he marries Tamar. But the Bible says that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so God takes his life. The story goes on. Judah then gives his daughter-in-law, Tamar, to his second son, Onan. And Onan is responsible to impregnate her so that she can have a family, so that she can be protected and have safety and support through her family. She can be taken care of. Onan is perfectly capable for the task at hand. He desires the pleasure of sex, but he will not conceive with her. So God takes his life. Two for two. So Here's, here's why this whole marriage to the brothers uh, thing is happening. It's called Leverite marriage. And it, it was this ancient Near East provision that, that God actually put in place. God put this provision in place for, for widows. You see, Tamar is now two times a widow. She's unemployable, unmarriable, no support, no future. And the Leverite law was this. The father-in-law would take responsibility for the widow for the daughter-in-law. And so she would be given to each successive son in the hope that they could, would you know, conceive a child and she would be provided for by that family. And so now she's gone through son number one, uh, 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 son number two, and so now she is to be given son number three. But here's the thing, he's not of, of age yet. So Judah says, when, when he is of age, you can have him and he, he will be your family. But Judah has no intention of doing that. Judah has no intention of giving up his last son. He's already lost two. 
How's this family line going to keep on going if, if the third one dies? He's not about to risk his last son. And so he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when he's of age, you can have him. But you, you go off to, to mommy and daddy, and in a couple of years, we'll send for you. But don't call us. We'll call you. I'll, I'll have my people contact your people when it's time. But he has zero, zero intention of going through with that. And it becomes clear over time to Tamar that Judah has no intention. So what, is, what, is, what does she do? Judah's wife is now dead. And Tamar knows that there's this big sheep shearing party coming up. And she knows the path that Judah's going to take. And, and, so, and she also knows Judah's character. And so she disguises herself as a cultic prostitute. It's an act of cultic worship to, to go down to the temple and sleep with a cultic prostitute. The thought was, the superstition was that you sleep with a cultic prostitute at the temple and the, 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 the gods will, will bless your land and bless your cattle with fertility. And so she dresses up this way as a cultic prostitute. And she waits on the side of the road and like clockwork, Judah picks her up, but he has nothing to pay her with, and so he promises her future payment. She says, that's not enough. I need something today to secure a future payment. And so, so he leaves his, his cord, his, his, his ring, and his staff. It would be like, I have no cash on me, but, but here, I'll leave my wallet. You know, your wallet has your identification and your important stuff in it to, to guarantee that you're coming back for it. So, so what does he do? He leaves his wallet, the ring, the cord, the staff, and they go their separate ways. What a story. Right? Did you know this was in the Bible? I mean, what a story. And did you know that grace breaks in in an act of sexual entrapment? I mean, this is the most... I mean, who's the most righteous person in this story? I mean, you could, you could look at this and go, well, you can't be more guilty in t than Tamar. I mean, she dresses up like a prostitute. She entraps her father-in-law. And yet the Bible takes zero time in this passage to lay blame on Tamar. That's fascinating. Who in the story is at fault? Who is the wrongdoer? It's Judah. See, in God's eyes, Tamar is more righteous than Judah because she is pursuing justice. She exposes Judah's indifference to her plight, his refusal to take responsibility for, her, for his daughter-in-law, his refusal to acknowledge this horrific double standard that he can have sexual relations with whoever he wants, whenever he wants, and she's just supposed to remain celibate, childless, or die. And she exposes it. She is the pursuer of justice. How does grace break in? Justice. Justice matters to God. And listen, in the conservative church, typically what matters is sexual morality. When you read this story and stories like this, perhaps all you can see is the sexual immorality. She dresses up like a prostitute. She sleeps with him. That's her father-in-law. But isn't it fascinating that that's not how God reads the story? She's not portrayed as the wrongdoer here. Judah is. Why? Because he withheld justice from her. That's why. And that's a big deal to God. It's a big deal. Isaiah chapter 1. Learn to do right. Seek justice. 
Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Seek justice. Listen, when we think of justice in North America, we think typically it's retribution. Right? There's a wrongdoing, and you take it to the judicial system, and, the, and, and they right the wrong, retribution. But when the Bible talks about justice, it's not talking about retribution. It's talking about shalom. It's talking about a different way to right wrongs. It's talking about people, people with power utilizing their power to give safety and opportunity to the poor, to the marginalized, to the oppressed. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Listen to this. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner. And yes, that means legal or illegal. You are not allowed to oppress the foreigner or the poor. Administer justice. The church has missed this before. Uh, Much of it, including some in our own family of churches, sat on the sidelines during the civil rights movement. And even today, when you hear some people talk about Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy, they, you know, they, 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 they go out to, the, to, to you know, point out what? His, his sexual impropriety. But here's one thing we learn from this passage. When the church concerns itself more with justice than, when the sex, than with the sexual improprieties of others, that's when you know grace is breaking in. That's when you know there's, there's, there's a breakthrough coming. You, you, you realize what most prostitution is in the, in the world, don't you? You realize most prostitution in the world is because women are desperately poor and they're trying to feed their children. And God will hold those who have done nothing about it more accountable than the women who engage in the prostitution. There's actually a place where God says exactly that. In the book of Hosea chapter 4, go home and read it. He says exactly that much about this issue. Justice means that if you have means, if you have position, if you have clout, if you have privilege, if you grew up in a family that had good morals, gave you good education, someone taught you well, that is a gift. That is a gift, and you are to fight for those who do not have the position, who do not have the power. And when you don't, the Bible says it's not because you're being unmerciful. It's not because you're being stingy. It's that you're being unjust. And grace breaks through when God's people get passionate about justice. It's one thing we learned from Genesis 38. Here's another one. You know, grace is breaking in when the spiritually blind begin to see themselves clearly. And this is the the Judah lesson here. Uh, Grace breaks in when people who can't see themselves begin to see themselves. When people who don't see who they are begin to figure it out. Listen, to, to get people to see the truth about themselves is such a challenge. It is a grace thing. To get religious, church-going people to see the truth about themselves is a grace thing. To, to get pastors to see uh, the, the truth about themselves, well, that's just a miracle. Listen, here's the story. This is, this, is, this is unbelievable. Judah hears that Tamar is pregnant now, his daughter-in-law. And what does he say? What is his response? Effectively, it's get her and burn her. 
Those are strong words, Judah. This, this was a penalty reserved for the most heinous of crimes. Get her, burn her. You see, Judah hates Tamar. Judah hates Tamar. He blames her for the death of his sons. But do you see his self-righteousness? I mean, who is this Judah who burns with passion and judgment? Who, who is this Judah? This is the same guy who sold his brother into slavery, deceived his father by saying his sons were dead, raised three wicked sons, refused to care for his daughter-in-law, frequented the prostitutes, practiced cultic religious practices. That's the persecuting attorney in Genesis 38. This is self-righteous Judah. Not only that, if her crime is guilty of burning, guess who else should burn? I mean, she can't get pregnant by herself. Does he see any of that? No. Get her, burn her. But Tamar plays this so well. I mean, feel the, 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 the dramatic tension in this passage for a second. Put yourself there. She faces her sentence. She, she takes the cord, the ring, the staff, and she sends them to Judah and says, you might want to know who's responsible for my pregnancy, Judah. Well, these are the belongings of the person that, who's responsible for my pregnancy. Do, do, do these belongings look familiar to you? And that's when grace comes. That's when Judah says, I'm the guilty one. She's more righteous than I. Listen, when proud people realize that they're the biggest problem, that's when you know that grace is breaking in. That's the opening. Listen, Pastor, why are you always telling me this? Why, why do you tell me this so often, that the biggest problem is we have, to, we have to self-examine, we have to see the truth about ourselves. You're always reminding us of our sin. I, I, I don't want to see the truth about myself. I just want to come and hear that I'm okay, that I'm, that I'm loved. And I just want to be inspired. Well, you know when you take your car to the mechanic and you know something is wrong with it, there's a noise, you don't know what it is, and the mechanic takes it, looks at it, calls you back, you go to pick up your car, he says, we couldn't find anything wrong with it. You know how frustrating that is? What do you mean you couldn't find anything wrong with it? I know there's something wrong with it. It's completely unhelpful to tell me that there's nothing wrong with it. Or you feel ill, and you feel ill long enough and badly enough that you go to see a doctor, and you know your body, and you know that something's off, and the doctor says, hey, we've, we've run all the tests. There's nothing wrong with you. Let me ask you the question, is that good news? No, it's not good news. In fact, good news would be bad news. Good news would be, would be news. Good news would be, we found it. We know what's wrong with you. As, 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 as hard as that would be, that is more helpful news. Listen, wouldn't that also be true in the spiritual realm as well? Wouldn't the breakthrough come when we realize what the problem is? One of the greatest things can, that can happen to a person is when someone comes along and reveals to you what is wrong. And grace opens your eyes and it changes your life forever. And where does that thread start? How do you begin to spiritually open your eyes to what is wrong? How do you have that Judah moment? 
Well, it starts with this question, the get her, burn her question. Who do you despise? You go, I don't despise anyone. I'm a modern, tolerant person. We don't despise people. Okay, all right. Who are you judgmental towards? Who, who do you look upon with condescension? Who do you think you're better than? Are you better than the liberals? Are you better than the Trump supporters? Are you better than the Roman Catholics? Are you better than the Muslims? Are you better than the evangelicals? The gays? The addicts? The gossips? Are you better than the people who, who spend way too much money on themselves? You would never do such a thing. Are you better than lazy people? Are you better than unhealthy people? Listen, when God opens our eyes, that's when grace breaks in. When justice is pursued, when the spiritually blind begin to see themselves, and then finally it's when the guilty get declared righteous. Why is Tamar in the line of Jesus? I mean, this is crazy. Sexual entrapment, incest, and yet Judas says to her by the end, you're righteous. And then Judah would take the blame. Judah, guilty of his own sin, would take responsibility for what he did. And listen, centuries later, someone else would come along. Someone else from this family line, from the line of Tamar, from the line of Judah. Someone who was completely innocent. Someone who would come and look at your sin and my sin and who would take all of it. A truly innocent one who would take all of it and he would look at us guilty, and he would declare us righteous. This is the message uh, in Jesus. This is the good news of, of Christmas coming to us. God made him who had no sin, it says in 2 Corinthians, that to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said, instead of burning them, I'll burn. I'll take the hit. And that's what happens on the cross. Judah was filled with pride. And Jesus is filled with humility. Jesus could have been born into any family. The infinite God could have come into the world through any family. And he's born into a family of incest. He's born into the family of the guilty to make them righteous. So what's the, the point of this crazy, screwed up, fragmented story? You want to get into the family of God? Well, here's the tree. Here it is. Listen, there are, no, there, there are zero stars in the family of God. There are zero stars in the family of God. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Don't be impressed by anyone else but Jesus. And, and maybe someone here is even saying, if, if, you, if you knew my story, there's no way for me to believe that I can be in the family of God. If you know the stuff I've done, my history, look who was in the family. A man who sleeps with his daughter-in-law, children of incest. This is the family of God. The standard to get in the family of God is what? You've got, you, you've got to be a complete mess. Which means you qualify. Which means I qualify. 
Amy Prokowski said that the nurse at that treatment center finds the wounds on Renee several hours after she cut herself. The center has no detox, names her too great a risk, does not accept her. For the next five days, she's, she is ours to love. We become our hospital, and the possibility of healing fills our living room with life. It is unspoken, and there are only a few of us, but we will be her church, the body of Christ, coming alive to meet her needs, to write love on her arms. I believe God works in love, speaks in love, is revealed in our love. I have seen that this week, and honestly, it has been simple. Take a broken girl, treat her like a famous princess, give her the best seats in the house, buy her coffee and cigarettes for the coming down, books and bathroom things for the days ahead. Tell her something true when all she's known are lies. Tell her God loves her. Tell her about forgiveness, the possibility of freedom. Tell her she was made to dance in white dresses. All these things are true. Friends, your story may be broken. Your life may be a mess. But Christ has written his love on your life. And, and, and may you have great hope um, this Advent season. But when you lose hope, try this trick. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, and see the name Tamar written in the book of life, in the family tree of Jesus. Through her inclusion there, she is forever remembered not as a prostitute, not as a perpetrator of sexual entrapment, not as a willing participant in incest. No, Tamar, she's the mother of Jesus because grace broke into her story. And may that same grace break through our story this Advent. Let's pray.